You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. If you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7 is where we find ourselves in our study of Exodus. I was telling someone yesterday, I've been learning so much uh, through Exodus, um, doing a deep dive into this story. And it's a powerful story for us to study through as a church. It shows us that God is real, that he is moving and how he redeems. And tonight we're getting into another part of this story. The first section was sort of really focusing on Moses's story, but now it's going to move into a nation and wonders and mighty deeds that the Lord has done. And God is going to show the nation of Israel, the nation of Egypt, and us today just some of his mighty deeds and wonders to prove that he is God. He's going to do this through this section called the plagues, the plagues. This is going to be the plagues part one. We're going to go through Exodus 7, 14 through chapter 8, 15. We'll get through two plagues tonight, Lord willing. Um, And we'll probably take three weeks to go through these plagues because we could learn a lot from them. We can learn a lot from them. Now, let me give you a little bit of recap. Last week, we saw uh, another mighty work and miracle, but it was more of a sign. Aaron uh, gave Pharaoh a sign by throwing down his staff. It turned into a snake or a serpent. Um, And this was uh, one last private attempt for Pharaoh um, to repent, to turn to God. But he didn't, just like God prophesied or told Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 19 through 20, Moses would be stated this promise again. It's like, hey, Pharaoh's not going to repent. I'm going to show him that I'm God, but I'm going to go into this last mighty deed so that everyone will know. And so the sign was more of a private thing for Pharaoh. These plagues are more of now a public thing. They're more powerful, and they're going to affect the whole land and everyone in Egypt, Israel, the Egyptians. God wants everyone to know that he is God. His children his non-children, right? Believers, unbelievers. He's God overall, Lord overall. And we need to worship him as such. Uh, God is going to publicly display his power before the nation of Egypt and Israel to show everyone that he is the true and living God. What he revealed to Moses as, I am that I am, the Yahweh, uh, the great and mighty God. So God is now going to display all of these incredible acts to really show how great he is than idols and have false uh, false gods. Um, And so I read this last week, but I think it'd be important to set us up as we move forward through the plagues. That's this quote by commentator James Boyce. He says, there were about 80 major deities in Egypt, all clustered into three great natural forces of the Egyptian life. Okay, so there were a lot of deities or idols or false gods in in that section, and you can sort of cluster them up into three parts of life. The Nile River, the land, and the sky. Now, the first two plagues are going to deal with the gods of the Nile. The next four are going to go against the gods uh, of the land. The final four plagues are going to go against the gods of the sky, culminating with the death of the firstborn. And so we're moving into this section now where there is going to be an exodus. God's people are going to be um, free, spoiler alert, you know, 
If you know the story, you know that. Uh, but we moved really, we've been talking about the redemption story through Moses. Uh, I gave you another handout. Uh, it's this, the Exodus. It's um, from Passover to the promised land. And it just sort of shows you a chart. And we're now we're going to journey and see how God is going to free his people through these mighty deeds. Um, and this handout sort of just gives you an overview, gives you a visual of that. We'll have two more handouts to the book as we cover the Ten Commandments and then even do a deep dive into the tabernacle and the priesthood and those type of things. And so now God is going to directly attack these false deities, these idols that people worshipped, and um, they're going to suffer and be judged for worshipping a false god. So they, God wants to them to know that he is Yahweh, he is the Lord. And one thing you're going to notice over this section, these next five chapters, verse chapter 7 through 12, is this little phrase, uh, that they may know that I am Yahweh. Or in your Bible, it will be like all caps, the Lord. This, God's going to do these things, and there's a purpose for it, so that they would know that he is the Lord, that he is the great I am. And you're going to see it over and over and over again. So try to pick it up, try to, try to highlight this. And this is a direct attack of his display of mightiness compared to idols. We know this because in Exodus 12, 12, after all of these 10 plagues, it sort of culminates and God executes these judgments, it says, against the gods of Egypt. In, Deuteron or in Numbers 33, verse 4, it's repeated about this idea that this is a battle between the gods. Pretty epic. Numbers 33, 4 says the Lord has executed judgment against their gods. So I want you to see, and I want, this week I want to give you a picture of like what this sort of represents and what these gods and how God Almighty, the Lord Yahweh, is going to attack these ideologies and these lies that people worship not only then but even now. God said through the prophet Isaiah, I am Yahweh, or the Lord, that is my name, and I will give my glory to no one else. And so he's going to prove that. He's going to show us how great he is against any idol, any false idol, by executing judgment. One commentator said the plagues were horrific signs of God's judgment and sovereign power. God was making sure people knew uh, and know that he was, uh, he was doing it and that he was alone, God. And this is a serving as a reminder for the people then, but I think it should serve for us, even as Christians, that there is no other greater God than Jesus. There is no other name above all names. Jesus is the true and living God. And we tend sometimes to put our hope or our trust in other things besides God, which is idolatry. We can actually worship other false ideologies, false hopes, things even in our heart. They creep up and not trust Jesus. And they can be devastating for our lives. And God wants to prove to us that he is God and there is no one greater. And he, he wants us to know that he is Yahweh. One commentator put it this way, the plagues should serve as a warning not only for those who refuse to believe the gospel, but for believers who are tempted to love, serve, and trust anything except the living God. And so our heart wanders as Christians, but God will display his power not only to the Egyptians, but we're going to learn he's going to display it to the Israelites as well his own people. Because even we as Christians, we sometimes walk in unbelief. And when we walk in unbelief, it displeases God and it's not good for our life. And so may we, as we study these plagues, see God's great divine power, his judgment, and worship him alone, trust him alone. Because it's pretty clear as we go through this, 
that he is the only true God. And you're going to see that, and I hope you're encouraged by that. And so we're going to do two plagues tonight. That was sort of a big summary, but now we're going to dig uh, into the text, into Scripture. I know Pastor Robin prayed, but I want to pray and just settle my heart, and then we'll read and study along. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that we can come together uh, to know you, to serve you, and to just worship you as the true and living God. I just pray, Lord, that you would use my words, that you would give me clarity, that you would speak to your people, not only in the room, but also watching, Lord, that you would continue to allow us to worship you uh, through your word and as we study together. And so, Spirit of God, would you exalt Jesus? Would you help us to see more of who you are, uh, that you are the great Yahweh, worthy of our worship, worthy of our submission of our lives, and we just bless your name now. And so be glorified, and thank you, God, that we can get together and worship you in this way. It's in your name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Amen, amen and amen. Plague one, you ready? No one ever should be ready for plagues, just by the way, okay? Uh, plague one, this is it, the Nile River to blood, or you can say water to blood, but it's specifically the Nile River to blood, verses 14 through 26 of chapter uh, 7. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to break it down and learn some lessons, Okay. It says this, Then the Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch it out, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers and their canals and their ponds and all of their pools of water so that they may become blood. There shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of the wood and in the vessels of stone. So verse 20, Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. They're walking in obedience now. In the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff, struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart, it remained hardened, and he would not listen to them. As the Lord had said, Pharaoh turned and went into his half, uh, house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug among the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. The first plague, the Nile River to blood. It starts off with a bang. I'll be honest with you, I don't actually want to think about the details too much, even when I teach, when I think about blood. I don't do well with blood. I don't know about you, but I don't. He made water, the Nile, into blood. 
There's a big shock factor. And it wasn't just the Nile. It was the rivers. It was the canals. It was the ponds. It was the pools. They all just turned into blood. Verse 25 says, this lasted for seven days. It said they could not drink the water of the Nile. And it wasn't just mucky water that turned red. No, the fish died. It stank. And in actually throughout the Bible and Scripture, it goes over and over and over again, like Psalm 77, 44, Psalm 105, 29, that this was turning into blood. And there was a direct effect. It affected everyone's life. It affected the sea. It affected the land. It affected your water, your drinking, your system. I just want you to think for a minute and just imagine no clean water. No clean water in a desert. That's rough. I was struggling today and I was drinking as many Gatorade Zeros as I could out in that hot sun playing baseball. But you're in the hot desert. You have no water. And this would literally grab everyone's attention because the Nile was like the source of life. But it was exactly what God wanted. There's this quote that C.S. Lewis said. He said, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And this is exactly what God wanted to do. God had given them the Nile River as a great resource in the middle of a desert, and it should have caused them to worship the God of creation. For Psalm 19.1 says, you look at the, the skies and the heaven, everything God made, it should give glory to God. But Romans 1 says our sinful hearts, we in turn worship creation rather, uh, rather than the creator in exchange this lie. And that's what they were doing. And so God said, no, 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 I am creator. I am going to show you. I want to turn all this water into blood to have your attention and bring a trial into your life so that you can repent and start paying attention. So now Yahweh is directly showing them that he is the one. The people not only worshiped the Nile as a source of life, but they associated many gods, false gods. I don't know how to pronounce their names, but there are a few like Nu or Norisiris, Hapai. There are other gods that actually associated with life, water, the Nile. It was a resource, but now God is taking that great resource of comfort and becoming pain. It's a discomfort. C.S. Lewis again said, the pain insists upon being attended to. When you go through a trial, when you have things changed in your life, it should make you think, it makes you wonder, it makes you cause for action. And this is what the Lord wanted the people to have, action. To know that he was Yahweh, to know that he was God. You know, I found that God, in his glorious wisdom, he actually uses trials to get our attention, doesn't he? Or maybe even things that bring discomfort or out of the norm to get our attention. You know, many people that have even come to Redemption Church have been brought to the church and to the Lord through his gospel because they're going through a pain. Something has happened. A relationship is split. It's broken. There's pain. There's a burden. There's a financial burden. There's death. Something causes them for their attention that the Lord is bringing and allowing into their life. Now notice this trial, this pain, only happened for seven days, the text says. So this was a display of God's power in this moment, but it was also a display of his mercy. It wasn't a forever thing. 
but it was a temporary thing, the first of 10 plagues, so that people would have a chance to repent before the final judgment and the judgments got worse and worse and worse. This is actually a display of God's mercy because he wants to get your attention. He wanted the people to turn and he still wants people to turn to him before the great final judgment. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 through 10, God in his loving kindness still works in this way. And Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You know, many people say, man, it, uh, there's a God, why do we suffer? And it's like, thank God that we suffer because he tries to grab our attention and tell us that we are not God and that one day we actually will meet him and give an account and that there is mercy and he loves us and cares for us. God in his wisdom is moving in such a way to show them and show us that we cannot rely on another source for life. But we have to rely on him. We have to put our hope in him, our salvation in him. One commentator put it this way. The Nile was the lifeblood of Egypt. Essentially, there was no Egypt without the Nile. It was responsible for transportation, irrigation, drinking water, food, and setting the calendar. This type of catastrophic event would be similar to cutting off all the oil supplies, the stock market collapsing, drinking water being contaminated, and having no food in the grocery store. It would be total chaos. We've seen a little bit of this, haven't we? When some, some of our stabilities, our things that we built our life upon, even in America, falls apart. The Lord is a solid rock, the Bible says. He's our greatest source that we could stand on. But in this chaos, I want you to notice how wicked and sinful the heart of man is. In our sin nature, we turn from God, we rebel. And Pharaoh doesn't even repent, doesn't even really blink an eye. In fact, in verse 23, it says, he didn't even take heart to these things. Because in this chaos and in this plague, he didn't go to God, he went to his magicians, the ways of the enemy, the devil, the flesh. In verse 22, it says, the magicians of Egypt, they did the same thing. They turned water into blood. And this is an important fact to notice and something we talked about last time. But I wrote this down. The devil can counterfeit, but he can't create. The devil counterfeits the ways of God because it takes away his glory. Now, what do I mean by that? He can counterfeit, but he can't create. Well, the devil can tempt you and me to sin and not turn to God. But he can never satisfy us through sin. Can he? It's interesting. He cannot create or give an abundant amount of peace, joy, or satisfaction, but he sure will lie to you and tell you he can. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, it tells us that sin is pleasurable for a moment, but then it's like a snare because it brings death. Because Pharaoh saw his magicians could mimic God's ways, he didn't even consider turning to God. But in the end, the hardening of his heart caused death. And did you notice in the secret arts, the text says, 
the ways of the enemy, the devil. The magicians countered the miracle. But the fact is that the people were still digging water from the Nile. They made things worse. They just made more water, the little bit that they had, into more blood. So, yes, they had the power, but they didn't satisfy. It's so weird. Many people do certain things or sin and walk in the ways of sin to try to be satisfied. But in the end, their strategy falls short and they'll never be satisfied. They just make things worse. They just turn more water that God has given us into blood. I love what Psalm 1611 says. You make known to me the path of life and in the presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Listen, church, we need to remember that God is the one that satisfies. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. And God is the one that's doing this plague because the text says, so that they would know him and worship him. God wants us to be satisfied in him and not allow us to turn to idols that will lead to death. In fact, that's how God puts our salvation in 1 Thessalonians 1.9. He says, you turn to God from idols to serve the living, uh, the true and living God. What's the application for us today? Well, while we may never have heard some of these Egyptian gods, right? New and, um, I mean, they're in your booklet of the names and the history and all that different stuff. We today could still be tempted by idols. We can still put our hope and our trust in other things. We can place our final hope in the stock market, in economic growth, in the stability, or, or maybe in a new government or president, in relationships. We could place our heart into just the pleasures of the world, the things that we think are going to be stable, like even the sun and the moon rising every day. But I want to remind you that these are things that God has in final order, and those too shall pass. We shouldn't make them a source of our satisfaction or idols. Listen to what the gospel writer 1 John 2, 15 and 17, the apostle John says about this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Are there desires, are there good things in the world? Absolutely, but they will fade away. This is why 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us to fix our eyes on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is is eternal. Fix your eyes on Jesus, Yahweh, the true God. We need to continue to put our faith and our trust in the Lord and not be tempted by the desires of the flesh, the things of the flesh. And God wants to get our, our, our attention by sometimes bringing trials and bringing us into discomfort and to shocking us so that way he could speak to us that he is the Lord. Maybe you're in a point right now where you need to cry out to God. It's a great place to be, isn't it? Well, let's go through one more plague tonight, the frogs. You got the Nile into blood and now frogs. Exodus chapter 8, verse 1 through 15. And they sort of both go together. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, 
Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague, uh, I will plague um, all your country with frogs. Just waiting in silence for someone to say ribbit. That was a bad joke. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants and your people, and into the ovens and your kneading uh, bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and all your people and all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts. And listen to this. They made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Didn't help the situation again. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me, from my, uh, from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. There it is again, that you may know. And so verse 11 says, the frog shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs. And, and he had, uh, as he agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields. And they gathered in together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, a little relief, a break, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. You're going to see these patterns, these rhythms, these things, but... The second plague we see, it gets worse because it didn't stop. God wanted to grab their attention, but that he didn't pay any attention to. And so now there's this other plague of frogs. And these frogs are everywhere. It's like it gets bad to worse because it didn't stop. There was another, there was one chance, boom, big, big miracle. Nope, not paying attention all right, well, now let's do this. And this is significant. Verse three says there were frogs everywhere. They were in the bedroom. They were in the ovens. They were even in the bowls. And what is interesting and a little funny, frogs aren't scary, are they? I mean, some of you may be freaked out by frogs. I would never recommend licking them or even kissing them like the fairy tales. But in general, if you saw a frog by a river or a lake, Totally normal, not that big of a deal. What made them significant was this compound effect of so many stinking frogs everywhere. It was nothing like the blood everywhere. The blood was a dramatic and immediate effect. But the frogs, they were just everywhere. There was a compound effect. There were these little things but because they were little, there were so many, it became a bad thing and it affected the people's lives. 
Now, what you have to understand, remember, these are deities of gods and how people worshiped um, gods of the frogs and of life and fertility and all this different stuff. And so when you start doing study, you start learning about these idols and gods. And one commentator said, frogs were so sacred that the Egyptians could not kill them. They like worshiped them. They were sacred. And the Nile and frogs were symbols both of life and fertility because the deities of these uh, things supposedly controlled the frog population. This invasion of frogs was intended to humiliate these gods. Pharaoh was supposed to control all these deities that controlled all these people of the land. And now these frogs that weren't really that uh, big of a deal, he was supposed to do something about it. And so God's saying, oh, you want to have life? Since you worship all these idols, here's your life. Boom. And now it's this huge, big problem. This is important to see because God is judging both the gods of the Nile and the gods of the frogs. And what it seems to me is a picture of how God judges sin. Both what we would think big sin and little sin. God judges all sin. And he judges it differently. And it's important for us to understand. For gods of the Nile, there was a dramatic immediate effect, water to blood. But for the gods of the frogs, there was a compounding effect just more and more and more and more frogs until things got so bad, from bad to worse, to unbearable. Sometimes God punish, punishes us or disciplines us and with an immediate judgment for our sin, like turning water into blood. But seeing this frog plague, it made me think about and understand God also judges us and allows us to keep sinning by our sin to have a compound effect in our life and produce death. Now let me explain. Think of the sin of sexual immorality. You may have an immediate sin, like an STI from living this lifestyle. Just, it comes to you, it's done. You have something like that. However, most often for this sin of living an immoral life, there is a compound price of sexual sin. You will have future relationships ruined from one thing to the next. If you jump around from this person to that person, it will skew your whole world of intimacy, of relationships. God may not just get you. It's going to compound. There's still going to be judgment, but it's going to be played out by God allows you to walk in that sin. You may think of big immediate consequences. For example, if you kill someone or murder someone, which is a sin, the big effect is you go to jail. Or if you have an adultery, uh, uh, an affair, you're going to break your marriage. That's a big immediate effect. But consider what we would say smaller sins. If you keep on living in those sins, it will still have a plague effect or death in your life. I wrote some examples down. If you live a selfish other-centered life and relationships, that will have a compound effect and you will not thrive with others. Or what about if you just are a gossip? If you just always are lying or have no integrity, people are not going to trust you and those sins will also find you and you will be judged. When we for years aren't loving, aren't kind, aren't generous, it has a compact effect in our life when we disobey God in those areas. 
To put it another way, Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 6, verse 37 and 38. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, runneth, run, running over. With the measure you use it will be measured back to you. We need to make sure that we're sowing seeds of faith and righteousness and not seeds of the flesh and sin. For the Bible says in Galatians 6, we will reap what we sow. And that sin will look different, but God judges all sin. This is why in verse 1 and 2, God warns Pharaoh with this plague. The first plague he's trying to get attention, there's immediate effect, but now God actually warns Pharaoh and says, you better let my people go. I'm going to warn you. I'm going to do this. And Pharaoh had a decision to make and will continue to have decisions to make to repent as God warns him over and over and over again. But God lets him have a decision to repent and he lets us have a decision to repent. And if we don't, sin will find us. This is why God in his loving kindness warns us. In Hebrews 3.15, he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Thank God that there is full and complete forgiveness in Jesus and that his grace is greater than our sin. We are told as believers to repent quickly that for their times of refreshing will come, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. When we repent, when we turn to God, when we have our sin exposed, we are to repent quickly, even for little things that you may downplay. Let us walk in wisdom when it comes to walking in obedience to God and not sin. Because although there is always forgiveness, there are still great consequences for our sin. Notice that even after these frogs were taken away, in verse 14 it says there were heaps of frogs. Did you notice that? And they stank. They stank. There are still consequences for our sin. And it stinks. It, it reaps and has a stench to us. We can walk in sin and there will have a dramatic effect in our lives. But the way that we overcome sin as believers and as Christians is turning to God in true repentance. And Pharaoh didn't do this. Repentance means a change of mind that leads to action. Again, if we go to that analogy about not loving the world, John would continue to go on. He would say in 1 John 5, 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that we overcome the world, our faith or our trust in Jesus. Scripture says that the only way we overcome sin is by a trust or a faith in the Lord and turning to him, which is known as repentance, asking for help. This is important because here's how a lot of people deal with their sin. They ignore it, they undermine it, or they just do more of it. Because if, they don't, if you don't go to God, you have to do something with sin because we all sin. But think about how many people just ignore their sin. They just don't want to think about it. But sin will find us. We do a lot of things to forget our sin, to zone out whether it be TV, relationships, drugs, we zone out and just, we don't want to think about it, we don't want to ignore it, or we undermine sin. We say, well, well I mean, God just wants me to be happy, right? Does it, does it really matter? Is it really that bad? Did God really say that this is sin or this is not sin? 
Like it's just a little white lie. No, God has defined what sin is. And in that definition, he even warns us, hey, these are the boundaries. Sin is the rebellion against what God has said. So he's given us clear direction, but we undermine sin because we downplay it because we know that we all fall short. And if we have to take care of it ourselves, there is no justification of sin. So people ignore it, people undermine it, and people just do more of it. If I could just lie for this lie, it'll get me out of that lie. Or you know what? I'm just going to get drunk this weekend so my problems can go away and not think about it. Or people will say, well, there's just really no God. There's so many atheists right now because they don't want to give an account to God. Or they don't want to say who God is because they don't want to give an account to God because he'll deal with sin. What I find interesting, again, is in verse 7, the magicians once again mimic this miracle, and they also make frogs to come out, out of the land. But again, by doing so, does it help anyone? What happens if you make more frogs come out the land? People just have more of the same problem. And when you keep on just trying to deal with sin, with more sin, it just gets more problematic. We trying to be Savior create more problems than actually solving things, humbling ourselves before the Lord, and just going to Him for His mercy and grace. I wrote this down. It is only by repenting and turning in God that we have victory. Do you believe that? This is what Scripture says. The way that we overcome the world is by our faith and the one that did overcome on the cross. For Jesus paid our wrath and consequence of every single sin. Notice how the frogs went away. Moses prayed. The consequences of these sins, the sin, the plague. Moses, it says, cried out to God, the Lord in prayer, and that's what made the frogs go away. You see, the plague of frogs coming wasn't only the first miracle in this sort of story. There's a second miracle in this plague. God took the frogs away. I want you to think about if millions of frogs appeared in a county, that would be a pretty amazing, mighty miracle. And then all of a sudden, someone prays, and now the frogs go away. That is another miracle. And when we're talking about sin, this picture of sin, listen, God judges all sin and is able to do this because he's all-powerful, and he has to because he's all-knowing and righteous. But let us not skip this part. God performs another miracle and gives mercy and grace to people as well, doesn't he? Even in all of their sin. Because he takes away the frogs. He displays his mercy and forgiveness and redeems us from sin. The way that we overcome is through Christ and Christ defeated sin, Satan, and death. And as we put our faith in him, he's actually to give us the mercy or the miracle of mercy and grace in our lives. He not only does that, but he restores us. He can actually redeem us and our lives and we're not actually identified in the consequences of sin. He blesses, not curses. He gives favor and he restores in the redemption plan. And God in his mighty act is doing both of these things 
Because really, it's the great works and mighty acts to show us that he is God. So in a mighty act of judgment, he says, I have to judge sin. So the frogs come. And another mighty wonder, he says, I'm going to take the frogs away. I can take that punishment away. I can do these things. I can restore. And now the frogs go away. Because Moses, in his humility, cried out to the Lord. And when we cry out to God through prayer and ask God to restore and to redeem us, God can take away that shame. He could take away that condemnation. He could take away the big sin and the little sin because he judges it all. Both the Nile and the frogs have the same deities, fertility and life, and God would judge it all. But he can give mercy whether you blow it big or whether you blow it little. I was thinking about this and I thought about this verse. So as we come to a close, Joel chapter 2, verse 25. The prophet said this, he said, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. The, happy, uh, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. God in his love were sending these plagues to get people's attention to repent. And they were going to have to deal with the consequences. But he could restore and redeem and he would do this over and over again in this pattern. He does it today. The prophet Joel was speaking to the nation of Israel and God was giving them encouragement after the judgment. He said, I brought hoppers. I brought locusts. I brought this great army. It says, I sent that to you to get your attention to repent. But you can also have mercy and I can restore the years that were taken away. I could redeem. Yes, there are consequences for our sins and our action that God judges us, but he also forgives and he also restores and gives mercy as well. Both were done by Yahweh. Both were done by Yahweh. But the outcome depended if people turned to God for mercy or not. And it's the same thing today. God judges and he forgives. But are we going to Yahweh? The outcome in your life will actually be the result of if you turn to him or not. And so the Nile and the frogs represented this fertility of life, but the Egyptians worshiped these false gods and they experienced hardship, pain, and judgment. God was showing them and he was showing us that he is the true God to be worshiped and is not only and is the only one to give life, blessing, and mercy. And so I as we move through this section, we're going to see some patterns of what it truly means to like repent, why God does these things, how it's a picture of the end times and God judging the world. But I think from these two plagues and just sort of thinking about the plagues, we can say, man, let's continue to trust God to be the life giver. If the Nile brought life and fertility, right? That's a sign of life and babies and offspring. God is the one that gives life. And we see this on the cross because he forgave sin through the cross and mercy, but three days later, he gave life and the resurrection happened. And Jesus rose again. And the Bible says now that when we cry out and repent and pray and turn to Jesus and trust him, that same resurrection power now will live in us. He'll make us born again. For we were dead, but we could be alive in Christ. And he's the one that gives us now a hope, a great satisfaction of eternal life. We have the hope of heaven and we're to look to him. And he's doing these things 
not only for the nation then, but he's doing those things so that right now we can say, yes, Lord, you have the power to judge. We need your mercy. We love you so much. Thank you for the hope of heaven. Continue to give us life. Continue to be our source, our hope, our strength. We don't want to turn to idols. We want to trust you and we believe in you. And thank you, Lord, for the miracle of the gospel. And the Bible says when we gather together, that's what we're supposed to do, to be in awe of God that he is Yahweh and to remember that there's grace for us. And so let's turn to the Lord through communion and respond and just take time to thank God for his salvation, that he gives life, he gives freedom, he gives healing. He does these things by his grace and we can receive his grace today because he is Yahweh and we could know him. And so let's take time to thank him. Let's take time to just proclaim his goodness in our lives. And let's just ask the Lord to continue to teach us as we follow him. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace. We just want to worship you as the life giver. We want to celebrate, Lord, that not only did you take away sin and you judged all sin, Lord, but you're powerful enough to give life. That you rose three days later, Lord, and we come saying, Lord, through communion, that you are coming back again. You said it not only covers, uh, we're to be reminded of the past, but also look to the future, that you are coming again, Lord. And so may we purify ourselves, may we repent right now, whether there's something little we think are, uh, are big in our hearts. May we examine our hearts, and may we just give that over to you. Just as Moses cried out to you, Lord, we want to cry out to you in this time. We want to remember your love that you have for us and we want to receive your grace. And so continue to minister to us as we just sort of process and think through these things. And may we continue not to turn to idols, but turn to, turn to you, Lord. It's the true and living Yahweh, the living God, the great I am, the only one that we need to worship and should worship. Be glorified and be worshiped today through our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.